Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. This week, there's a lot of news relating to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The Department of Justice recently asked the January 6th committee for transcripts of its interviews. Meanwhile, the committee is seeking to interview Georgia Representative Barry Loudermilk, who allegedly led a tour of the Capitol on January 5th that has raised suspicions about its connection to the attack. And a group of Wisconsin voters are suing a group of Trump supporters who attempted to subvert the results of the 2020 presidential election by coordinating a scheme to give the state's electoral votes to Trump. In other news, following the leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion that would overturn Roe versus Wade, there is an ongoing debate over the extent to which protesters should be permitted to organize outside the homes of public officials, and in particular, Supreme Court justices. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. So, you know, obviously we're all waiting to see what happens in the Dobbs case. That's the Supreme Court case out of Mississippi that is very likely to overturn Roe v. Wade, all the controversy we've been talking about week after week in this in this podcast and in every broadcast in the country. And one issue has arisen with respect to that that's not central, but it's created something of a ruckus. And I think there's been hypocrisy on at least one side of this. And that is the extent to which it's appropriate or even lawful for citizens to protest outside of the homes of Supreme Court justices. And there have been Republican senators who were fairly quiet and magnanimous about 1-6, who are shrieking to the heavens that these peaceful protesters, particularly the ones outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house, should not only be taken away, but taken away in handcuffs and prosecuted to the, as it, people like to say, the full extent of the law. Did you ever <laughs> say the full extent of the law when you were the U.S. attorney? All the time. There's <laughs> a little bit, you know, over the top. And I don't know exactly what that means. But, you know, before we sort of researched it, I hadn't been aware that there is a statute that, you know, looks like it applies in the circumstance, whether or not all the elements are met, we'll talk about it in a moment. But I think it's sort of interesting for listeners who have just heard people on the one side say, send them to prison. And on the other side say, no way, there's a First Amendment. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And we like to unpack complicated things. And we may still fall on one side or the other of the question, but we should look at it. And it's a statute that was passed in 1950. And it's at 18 U.S. Code 1507, picketing or parading. And I'm going to read it and I wonder what you think about it. And you and I had a preliminary conversation. I think we differ maybe a little bit about this, but not too much. But the statute says, whoever, with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or, and this is maybe the more important part, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duty, sounds like maybe it applies, pickets or parades in or near a building housing a court of the United States or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, etc., shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than a year or both. So it's a misdemeanor, but it has language about picketing, trying to influence a judge in or near their residence. Does that fly or not 
in the case of Brett Kavanaugh's protesters? So I think I'll start by reiterating something that you and I have already discussed about that we do agree on, which is really people shouldn't protest outside of folks' homes because that drags their kids and their spouses and their neighbors into it. And maybe that's not the best way for us to raise our voices. However, I at least am willing to defend people's right to do that, even if I disagree with that, and perhaps more so than I might be otherwise if the Supreme Court wasn't so thoroughly barricaded at this point and and blocked off that there's no real chance of holding a public protest on the steps leading up to the Supreme Court, which is sort of the time-honored practice here. But there's a lot going on in, in this statute. And while some of the behavior in this might properly be criminalized as a misdemeanor, I think there, there's a lot in here that runs afoul of the First Amendment. So let's explain to people how it can be that there's a statute on the books that a very smart lawyer and scholar like Joyce Vance could say violates the First Amendment. And it turns out that laws do that all the time. And depending on how often they're enforced and what the challenges are and what the results are and what the courts are feeling at the moment, they either get struck down or they can remain on the books. Our sort of team's preliminary research indicates that it's not been really enforced very often. And maybe that doesn't happen that often. And that's something you have to consider when you look at the history of a statute and the enforceability of a statute. Uh, our understanding is that this particular statute about picketing or parading outside a judge's home has only been used three times since 2005. So there's not a lot of precedent. And when there's not a lot of precedent, it's hard to gauge the propriety of the law. I think that in the statute, certain words are doing a lot of work, right? So there's the section that says, whoever with the intent of influencing any judge. Hmm. What does that mean? Is it the case that the protesters, particularly in this instance where there's an opportunity to change a judge's mind, because we only have a draft opinion, first time in history. Obviously, the intent of the protesters in their minds and in their hearts is they hope someone will have their mind changed. But is that the kind of intent that is sufficient to overcome a First Amendment right to simply state your peace? Because on the other side of the 1507 statute is the Constitution, as you mentioned. Let's quote from it, because we often don't quote from it. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. How do you interpret the influencing language? Well, I mean, isn't that just the problem, right? The question becomes, what did Congress intend when it passed the statute? Because you can engage in some sort of restriction on the First Amendment rights. These have to be legitimate time, manner, or place restrictions. So if you read this statute as saying, you can't, for instance, go into the Supreme Court chambers and disrupt proceedings there. You can't go into the chambers and pick it. That could possibly be seen as a legitimate restriction on place. You can pick it on the front steps, but you can't pick it inside. And in fact, we know that in 2015, there was a case in the District of Columbia that involved those sort of facts, protesters inside of the court building, And unfortunately, we can't learn a lot from that case because it was resolved on a guilty plea. That likely means that the the judge would have considered as part of the plea colloquy whether this violated the First Amendment, but it wouldn't have been fully briefed and explored and certainly not beyond this situation of having people inside of the Supreme Court. So I'm not sure that's very predictive for people who are 
outside of a Supreme Court justice's house, peaceably protesting, not on private property, but clearly trying to influence the justice. That, I think, violates the First Amendment. I I just don't see where the legitimate restriction is that occurs when you're in public, albeit in front of a justice's home, being peaceful, not engaging in any sorts of vandalism or assault of people in the residence or in the neighborhood. Don't see how that could possibly be a a, a crime and square that with the First Amendment. I'm going to respond with two things. One, just as notable that the 2015 case, different facts that was inside the Supreme Court chamber, that was 2015. That was the Obama administration. And some of the arguments made by the prosecutors, whose supervisors were appointed by President Obama, made the argument that to the extent people were chanting things like, overturn Citizens United, it met the elements of the statute insofar as people were trying to influence a judge or a court officer. So that's point one. Point two is assume for a moment that the First Amendment is not implicated here. And I know you disagree with that, and I probably disagree with that too. But on the face of the statute itself, putting aside a First Amendment challenge, is there an argument that the actions of the people outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house meet the elements of 1507? No, I I think if there's no First Amendment challenge, it seems very likely that people would have the intent of influencing a judge in the discharge of his duty while they're picketing in front of his home. So the conduct itself would qualify. I have to say it's a little bit ironic, right? If you're a high-dollar business or person, you can fly a Supreme Court justice around the country to expensive hunting vacations, not naming any names, but Antonin Scalia. You can do that, and you can try to influence all you want. But if you're just a typical person who you know doesn't know the justice, doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a private plane, you can't stand on the sidewalk in front of his house and say, you know, Citizens United was a bad case. That seems really at odds with some of the fundamentals of democracy. But now you're challenging the statute again. I, I totally agree. Sometimes it's useful, I think, just to look at the statute, even if you disagree with it, even if you think there's some hypocrisy in it, even if you think that in other areas, influence can be had that's inconsistent with, you know, open democracy and separation of powers and all of that. But, you know, I think from time to time, it's useful to concede that there is an argument putting aside the hypocrisy of it, putting aside the propriety of the statute, putting aside the constitutionality of the statute, and that's a lot to put aside, (laughs) I I know. If the First Amendment doesn't exist, right? If it's doing some heavy lifting. On the language, yeah, but on the language of the statute that we may not like, it is not crazy for people. Look, it's no no crazier, given the language of the statute, than some of the complaint, you know, legal theories that we just talked about, right? It's not so outside the scope of the statute as maybe the Ku Klux Klan Act and some other things. So, you know, sometimes it's the case, depending on your perspective and depending on your, your policy viewpoint and your ideological viewpoint that you want a statute to apply. And sometimes in other circumstances, you don't want it to apply. It's a weird statute and it has a lot of problems, but on its face, it's not crazy to say, maybe take a look at it. It is very telling that prosecutors have used it so rarely because of the fact that, you know, if you believe that sunlight is the best disinfectant, Protest is one way of surfacing concerns about what's going on with government. 
And, and frankly, people do respond if protests are sustained and make them uncomfortable. The civil rights movement in the 60s, right? When that exposes the fact that the way black people are being treated is wrong, there's a lot of pressure for change. Um, so statutes like this, even when they do apply, should be used extremely sparingly. But I, I still, no matter how I read this one, I have a tough time squaring all but very edgy bits of it, like the one DC case that we talked about, squaring them with the First Amendment. Yeah, look, I think the fact that it's been used very infrequently says something, because I think there are a lot of protests in a lot of places. So it can't be that infrequent with respect to the judiciary and the other branches. And something you point out maybe is, is worth reemphasizing that people don't always understand, and that is prosecutors have discretion and they can look at a statute just like Joyce and I as former prosecutors can look at a statute and say, we're going to get a First Amendment challenge, even though we haven't seen one that's been successful in recent times. And they, you know, make a judgment not to do it. By the way, whatever you think of the statute, it's just a misdemeanor. So it doesn't rise to the level of a felony, which essentially means by definition that you can't get more than a year and a day in prison. That's a judgment call that's been made by Congress as well. It's not the most serious crime or in the subset of serious crimes that the criminal code prevents. That makes me wonder if one of the reasons, I, I still have to pick at this bone a little bit more, if one of the reasons it never has been outright voided on a First Amendment challenge is because it's used as a guilty plea sort of a statute. Instead of pleading guilty to some sort of a felony involving you know, vandalism or being in a government building, if in these very rare cases, people have been permitted to plead to the misdemeanor, so there is no real First Amendment challenge. Yeah, there are statutes like that, by the way, that are never really charged or very, very infrequently charged as an affirmative matter, but they're on the books and have been used over time pragmatically by prosecutors to allow people to, to plead guilty to something less serious than what they've been charged with. And while we're on it, maybe as an aside, there's a statute that I hear some legal commentators, and I don't mean any disrespect to other legal commentators, Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.